Mike, now, in a relentlessly meta filmography day, uh, Chad Stahelski is, uh, was a stuntman uh, filtering nicely through from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, he was a real-life stuntman. In fact, he was the actual stuntman that, was, uh, that stood in for Brandon Lee after Brandon Lee was shot as a body double. But um, in the 2000s, which is again another connection to Bruce Lee being in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Very strange. Um, he came up with a genre movie a few years back, which I adored, and immediately adored. And uh, Keanu Reeves has sort of become this, almost like the god of the internet. He's, he's like this deity, and it's like no one dislikes him. And uh, he just continually crops up in meme after meme, and... Uh, he, he took on board the uh, genre piece, which could have easily gone the way of the dodo. But it was so well made, and he was so perfect in the role, and it was so visually arresting, and uh, created this uh, amazing universe, that um, it felt like a breath, breath of fresh air, even though all of its components were in reference to other movies, particularly the likes of hard-nosed 70s uh, crime thrillers sort of very visually arresting and um, very stylishly shot. And kind of combining that with a kind of Hong Kong f movies like John Woo films with the highly stylized, high-octane violence um, and, and referencing lots of other cool films along the way. And it was called John Wick, and it was a big success. It was a much bigger success than people gave it credit for out of the gate. And it was one of my favourite films of the year. Uh, obviously, they towards the end of the film, it became the, the strongest suit of that film, which was famously about Keanu losing his wife to cancer and then some baddies come along and commit the sin of stealing his car and killing his dog, which then John Wick was a retired hitman and um, a force of nature, you know, like a lot of these sort of Death Wish characters... Um, an invincible character who um, had had settled down for the quiet life and then set out on revenge. And it was a very Death Wish sort of film where the the loves of the main character were already dead from from the beginning, and and he's hunting down those who did it to kill them, basically. But the strongest suit of the film was the universe creation, which really took off more in the second film. But the notion of this uh, Continental Hotel being in New York City, which was a hitman hotel, and Ian McShane was the proprietor, and they had a whole raft of really interesting things, like they'd pay each other in these big gold coins, and they'd have all these rules which they had to abide by, and all of the hitmen get sent out text messages when there's a hit, and it's, you know, this person for $8 million, and... Virtually everyone in New York City seemed to be a hitman. Um, and there were lots of stylistic elements to it. And also the main character of Keanu, who was kind of like a, a Clint Eastwood man with no name character. But even in those films, Clint Eastwood character exhibited a very dry, droll humour at times. And um, John Wick was completely humour-free. He was like this avenging angel character. And it kick-started both the director, um, Chad Stahelski, and John, and the uh, Keanu back into mainstream sort of conversation. And the second film sort of built on the first and focused a lot more on the whole notion of this 
wider world where there is a continental hotel in every major city on earth and there's this network of interconnected hitmen and criminals that are all sort of in- interconnected um, and it became a very a, a very in- enticing universe because there are all these different elements to it and I really loved the first two films. If there was an element to two, a couple of elements to two that sort of dragged it slightly down, and I thought the um, the main villain, the gangster, and the Ruby Rose character, who was kind of like his sidekick, worst hitman sort of thing, I thought they were the only two lame characters in both films. Didn't do it for me at all, and they kind of dragged it down. But one area where it did get a little bit bogged down in when he was having fights one-on-one with people like he did with the rapper common in that film they were brilliant but when he's fighting like 30 people and dispatching them it kind of becomes meaningless and i was a little worried going into this john wick 3 given most hollywood films continually up the ante bigger and bolder fights more people dying and so bigger battle sequences Uh, and it seems to be the bane of the movies when a lot of the time it's one-on-one talking that's actually the better part of the film this um, allayed my fears immensely. John Wick 3 came out a little earlier in the year. It's got a number of genius contrivances. The first of is like something like Breaking Bad, which has got a movie coming out soon on Netflix. Um, it follows on to the second from the previous episode. So the la- John Wick 2 ended with um, Keanu Reeves killing the gangster on the grounds of the Ho- Continental Hotel which was excommunication and basically there's going to be hit out on you from everyone. And he does indeed have this $15 million hit put on him, which is open to any hitman in New York City. Um, and the film ends there with Ian McShane giving him an hour head start to get away. So this, this one picks up with him literally the next moment. He's got an hour to, to get away before everyone starts trying to kill him and that's a great contrivance to open the movie with because it's an inbuilt tension for the opening half hour you don't get it in real time but it's a really good way to build up the tension and to not necessitate that there is violence and fights in that period because he's supposed to be off limit until the until the actual times up. and then when i expected it to go hell for leather and just have more and more um people you know 20 people in each fight scene dying and that being a little bit underwhelming it flips it again because when it does do that the actual sequences the first two major sequences are the best of the whole trilogy they're absolutely incredible there's a a fight sequence in a museum and that's another one of the stylistic elements there's a lot of sort of old school environments and old school weaponry that crop up in these movies old school cars you know weapons from a glass case that he's smashed and pulled out he has a fight with a number of henchmen inside this museum it's just jaw-dropping it's dazzling it's mainly a knife fight but it's acrobatic and i wonder how many times he got injured in this film because it's again doesn't rely on cgi it's mainly given that it's a stunt man in real life that directed it it's mainly people doing stunt work and it's just dazzling what they do with the knife plate. It's very violent, humorously violent. This is the only film of the three that I actually thought could qualify as a black comedy because some of the way the people are dispatched is just awful, but also at the same time quite funny. And that sequence is followed immediately by another of the best sequences in all three films, which um, 
involves a horse and descends into a western farce through the streets in New York being chased by cars on a horse. Keanu uses a horse as a gun. He whacks it on the backside so it kicks people in the head. <laughs> it's amazing. He does it like a few times as well. So the first hour of this film is undoubtedly the best hour of the three. Um, each scene seems to be dazzling and adds something new. The second half of the film isn't quite there, but where it stopped sliding away is that it would introduce new elements that actually lifted it. So, for instance, when he gets to... Um, like, this whole film is basically him trying to get out of the fact that he's now got a death sentence on his head and he won't be able to escape. So he tries to find the person that oversees the entire operation, not just the Continental Hotel, but the entire, all of the hotels, and they're all over the world and and so on. Um, he gets to Halle Berry in uh, Casablanca and that ends up with the first sort of gunplay and um, given that everything is fist fights and knife fights, it's a lot more visceral and it means it. Whereas it's kind of easy to dispatch 100 people with a, you know shooting them from a distance. But here they are out of the ante by including two very well-trained, what look like miniature German shepherds, that turn Hayley Berry into a superhero because every time she's fighting, she's got these dogs flying across the screen, grabbing hold of people by their never regions on many occasions and by the head. And um, that sort of upped the ante a bit. Uh, it's shot beautifully as well. The... Um, I didn't really rate the scene where he goes into the desert as being that meaningful. But it is shot as beautifully as uh, Lawrence of Arabia. The blues and the yellows are fantastic. And the other thing is, when it comes to the denouement, it does get a bit body heavy. But again, they switch things up by making it quite funny. It's actually quite blackly comic. They, I mean, they've, they fight all these guys which are dressed up head to toe in body armour. And they retreat back into the gun room, being quite sort of under their breath moaning about the fact that they need to get bigger guns because these aren't working. And you get the best bit of fan service in Keanu history when he says, guns, lots of guns. And then um, people have put it together with him saying that in The Matrix. And he's, he's mouthed it identically. It's a beautiful moment. And another really good contrivance here is two of the best characters from the series are Lawrence Fishburne as the king of the Bowery, he's like, if Ian McShane is the king of the sort of visible world of the hitman and, and they will stay in this very posh hotel, he's kind of like the guy on the streets in the gutter and he controls all of that, the people that sort of are on the margins. And both of those people are adversarial in a way to John Wick's character and could have remained in stasis. But because they both helped him in the previous film, they're now persona non grata themselves. So they actually, and this is a wonderful contrivance, become on John Wick's side and are basically operating on his side, which gives people like Ian McShane and Lawrence Fishburne much more to do. And the other really, really good contrivance, the um, person that comes to tell them that they're not no longer part of the... Um, they've got seven days to get their affairs in order and other people will be taking over the hotel and so on is Asia Kate Dillon, who's a non-binary actor. So I was a bit confused when I kept reading they and there because either he or she isn't used, they. Um, they turn up as the adjudicator, which is a great character. And this is a person that works on behalf of the wider organisation and basically passes judgment. So she turns up and Neil McShane's like, oh, I didn't help him. He's like, well, you gave him an hour. Why didn't you kill him? Um, and she's, he, they... 
it's really difficult to get your head around that because i watched the film and i didn't realize that they were supposedly non-binary i just assumed they were a female but apparently they exist in between and so on um, but a great character and a great addition and and the widening of the um the whole universe is excellent as well um another good bit is it, when it gets to peak volume body wise uh, with too many people getting killed the final sort of 20 minute half hour is just a couple of people there's like two people against keanu and then one person against keanu another very comedic character and it's set in this incredible glass building like the top floor of the hotel where there are all these glass exhibits and it's already been mentioned that it's going to be a walk for best sound editing because the amount of crashing glass in this film how many times does Keanu get thrown through glass cabinets in this film it's quite incredible um so the whole thing sort of um comes sort of back down to earth a little bit and then it sets itself up for John Wick 4 which is already in process of being made and um I imagine everyone will return. Uh, it's, it's everyone's set up to anyway. Um, I thought it was really interesting. This film's budget of seventy-five million is about twenty-five million less than Quentin Tarantino spent on a film with no action. I'm not sure what he spent the money on in that film. It looks beautiful. Maybe music rights because there's so many. Um, but this has again been another blockbuster success, over three hundred and twenty million. So pushing it right up into the A League of franchises. It's still got its cultural cachet. For me, it's a stronger film than 2. Um, I've seen some people saying it's not quite there compared to 2. I totally disagree. It's, it seems to apex every aspect of the franchise so far and do it really well. One, one bit that was a little bit sad about the second half of the movie is in the first half, Keanu's character is very mute and we know very little about him, but he gives out so much information about his past and where he came from and people he knew in his past and there are elements to his past that are revealed and that kind of filters away if anything Keanu's John Wick is in the background a little bit more in the second half than he is in the first but I thought it was wonderful it's peak entertainment for an hour the opening hour it's absolutely sublime it's incredible work both as a director and as a coordinator and everything else that goes on is just and the imagination level is off the charts, which is really good. I didn't think the imagination level was necessarily off the charts in the previous film. Not like this one. I think it's done a much better job. So this is the best John Wick film, I'd say. Um, it's got the most depth to it. It's got the most impressive sequences. It doesn't overplay its hand in any direction. We get more out of Keanu in this film than we did in the previous. Much more, actually. And it's really interesting dipping into his world. And, and you've also got a much more defined universe. There are some really interesting stylistic elements in these films. They make a big point of it in this one. They have this murderous fight in the middle of a, a subway, one of New York's busiest, and the people are walking over them while they're fighting. Like It's, it's like they've deliberately made this universe where no one can see them, even when they're doing it in plain sight. You don't see a police officer, I don't think, in all three films. It doesn't matter where these brutal beatings and slaying take place. It's like the rest of the world can't see, even if hundreds of people are surrounding them. I thought that was a really interesting stylistic choice. So the most entertaining, um, I thought, 
and I thought stylistically and visually the strongest of the three John Wick films. I'm going to give John Wick 3 a 9 out of 10. Two big hitters on the show, a 9 for the John Wick 3 and 9.5 for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood.